Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we'll read chapters 15 and 16. In the previous episode we read chapters 13 and 14 and Percy and Annabeth and uh, Elizabeth all accidentally met Luke and his army and they all were pushed into a stadium where they had to fight multiple people and especially uh, mostly Percy and Percy actually at one point actually called used his whistle that he'd been holding for for so long and called Mrs. O'Leary the huge headed the huge dog and finally she was able to help and help Percy Annabeth and Elizabeth get out of there so now we'll see where they ended up with chapter 15 we still some slightly used wings this way Rachel yelled why should we follow you Amber demanded, you led us straight into that death trap. It was the way you needed to go, Rachel said, and so is this. Come on. Amber didn't look happy about it, but she ran along with the rest of us. Rachel seemed to go and know exactly where she was going. She whipped around corners and didn't even hesitate at crossroads. Once she said duck, and we all crouched as a huge axe swung over our heads. Then we kept going as if nothing had happened. I lost track of how many terms we made. We didn't stop to rest until we came to a room the size of a gymnasium with old marble columns holding up the roof. I stood at the doorway, listening for sounds of pursuit, but I heard nothing. Apparently, we'd lost Luke and his minions in the maze. Then I realized something else. Mrs. O'Leary was gone. I didn't know when she disappeared. I didn't know if she'd gotten lost or been overrun by monsters or what. My heart turned to lead. She'd saved our lives, and I hadn't even wait—I hadn't even waited to make sure she was following us. Ethan collapsed on the floor. You people are crazy. He pulled off his helmet. His face gleamed with sweat. Ambed gasped. I remember you. You were one of the undetermined kids in the Hermes cabin years ago. He glared at her. Yeah, and you're Annabeth. I remember. What? What happened to your eye? Ethan looked away, and I got the feeling that was one subject he would not discuss. You must be the half-blood from my dream, I said. The one's, the one Luke's people cornered. It wasn't Nico after all. Who's Nico? Never mind, Ambit said quickly. Why were you trying to join up with the wrong side? Ethan sneered. There, there's no right side. The gods never cared about us. Why shouldn't I? Sign up with an army that makes you fight to the death for entertainment? Ambit said, Gee, I wonder. Ethan struggled to his feet. I'm not going to argue with you. Thanks for the help, but I'm out of here. We're going after Daedalus, I said. Come with us. Once we get through, you'll be welcome back at camp. You really are crazy if you think Daedalus will help you. He has to, Ambit said. We'll make him listen. Ethan snorted. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I grabbed his arm. You're just gonna head off alone into the maze? That's suicide. He looked at me with barely controlled anger. His eye patch was frayed around the edges and the, and the black cloth was faded, like he'd been wearing it a long, long time. You shouldn't have spared me, Jackson. Mercy has no place in this war. Then he ran off into the darkness, back the way we'd come. Annabeth, Rachel, and I were so exhausted we made camp right there in the huge room. I found some scrap wood and we started a fire. Shadows danced off the columns, rising around us like trees. Something was wrong with Luke, Ambit muttered, poking at the fire with her knife. 
Did you notice the way he was acting? He looked pretty pleased to me, I said, like he'd spent a nice day torturing heroes. That's not true. There was something wrong with him. He looked nervous. He told his monsters to spare me. He wanted to tell me something. Probably. Hi, Annabeth, sit here with me and watch while I tear your friends apart. It'll be fun. You're impossible. Ambitch grumbled. She sheathed her dagger and looked at Rachel. So which way now, Sacagawea? Rachel didn't respond right away. She'd become quieter since the arena. Now whenever Annabeth made a sarcastic comment, Rachel hardly bothered to answer. She'd burned the tip of a stick in the fire and was using it to draw ash figures on the floor. Images of the monsters we'd seen. With a few strokes, she caught the likely likeness of a draconae perfectly. We'll follow the path, she said, the brightness on the floor. The brightness that led us straight into a trap? Ambit asked. Lay off her, Annabeth, I said. She's doing the best she can. Ambit stood. The fire's getting low. I'll go look for more scraps while you guys talk strategy. And she marched off into the shadows. Rachel drew another figure with her stick. An ashy Antaeus dangling from his chains. Ambit's usually not like this, I told her. I don't know what her problem is. Rachel raised her eyebrows. Are you sure you don't know? What do you mean, boys? She muttered, totally blind. Hey, don't you get on my case too? Look, I'm sorry I got you involved in this. No, you're right, she said. I can see the path. I can't explain it, but it's really clear. She pointed toward the other end of the room, into the darkness. The workshop is that way, the heart of the maze. We're very close now. I don't know why the path led through that arena. I, I'm sorry about that. Thought you were going to die. She sounded like she was close to crying. Hey, I'm usually about to die, I promise. Don't feel bad. She studied my face. So you do this every summer? Fight monsters, save the world? Don't you ever get to do just, you know, normal stuff? I never really thought about it like that. The last time I had something like a normal life had been, well, never. Half-bloods get used to it, I guess. Or maybe not used to it, but I shifted uncomfortably. What about you? What do you do normally? Rachel shrugged. I paint. I read a lot. Okay, I thought. So far, we are scoring a zero on the similarities chart. What about your family? I could sense her mental shields going up. Like, this is not a safe subject. Oh, they're just, you know, family. You said they wouldn't notice if you were gone. She set down her drawing stick. Wow, I'm really tired. I may sleep for a while, okay? Oh, sure, sorry if... Rachel was already curling up, using her backpack as a pillow. She closed her eyes and lay very still, but I got the feeling she wasn't really asleep. A few minutes later, Annabeth came back. She tossed some more sticks on the fire. She looked at Rachel, then at me. I'll take first, first watch, she said. You should sleep too. You don't have to act like that. Like what? Like, never mind. I lay down, feeling miserable. I was so tired, I fell asleep as soon as my eyes closed. In my dreams, I heard laughter. Cold, harsh laughter. Like knives being sharpened. I was standing at the edge of a pit in the depths of Tar- Tartarus. Below me, the darkness seethed like inky soup. So close to your own destruction, little hero. The voice of Kronos chided. And still you are blind. 
The voice was different than it had been, than it had been before. It seemed almost physical now, as if it was speaking from a real body instead of whatever he'd been in his chopped-up condition. I have much to thank you for, Colonel said. You have assured my rise. The shadows in the cavern became deeper and heavier. I tried to back away from the edge of the pit, but it was like swimming through oil. Time slowed down. My breathing almost stopped. A favor, Kronos said. The Titan Lord almost pays his debt. Always pays his debts. Perhaps a glimpse of the friends you abandoned. The darkness rippled around me, and I was in a different cave. Hurry, Tyson said. He came barreling into the room. Grover stumbled along behind him. There was a rumbling in the corner corridor where they'd come from, and the head of an enormous snake burst into the cave. I mean, this thing was so big, its body barely fit through the tunnel. Its scales were coppery, its head was diamond-shaped like a rat- rattler, and its yellow eyes glowed with hatred. When it opens its mouth, its fangs were, all- were as tall as Tyson. It lashed at Grover, but Grover scampered out of the way. The snake got a mouthful of dirt. Tyson picked up a boulder and threw it at the monster, smacking it between the eyes. But the snake just recoiled and hissed. It's going to eat you, Grover yelled at Tyson. How do you know? It just told me, run! Tyson darted to one side, but the snake used its head like a club and knocked him off his feet. No! Grover yelled, but before Tyson could regain his balance, the snake wrapped around him and started to squeeze. Tyson strained, pushing with all his immense strength, but the snake squeezed tighter. Grover frantically hit the snake with his reed pipes, but he might as well have been banging on a snow wall. The whole room shook as the snake flexed its muscles, shuddering to overcome Tyson's strength. Grover began to play play with pipes, and stalactites rained down from the ceiling. The whole cave seemed about to collapse. I woke with Ambit shaking my shoulder. Percy, wake up! Tyson's in trouble! I said, we have to help him! First things first, she said, earthquake! Sure enough, the room was stumbling. Rachel! I yelled. Her eyes opened instantly. She grabbed her pack and the three of us ran. We were almost to the far tunnel when a column next to us groaned and buckled. We kept growing, going as a hundred tons of marbles crashed down behind us. We made it to the corridor and turned just in time to see the other columns toppling. A cloud of white dust billowed over us and we kept running. You know what? Ambit said, I like this way after all. It wasn't long before we saw light up ahead, like regular electric lighting. There, like Rachel said, we followed her into a stainless steel hallway, like I'd imagined they'd have on a space station or something. Fluorescent lights glowed from the ceiling. The floor was a metal grate. I was so used to being in the darkness that I had to squint. Ambeth and Rachel both looked pale in the harsh illumination. This way, Rachel said, beginning to run. We're close. This is so wrong, Ambeth said. The workshop should be in the oldest section of the maze. This can't. She faltered, because we'd arrived at a set of metal double doors, inscribed in the steel at a level eye level, was a large blue Greek L. We're here, Rachel announced. Daedalus's workshop. Ambed pressed the symbol on the doors and they hissed open. So much for ancient architecture, I said. Ambed scowled. Together we walked inside. The first thing that struck me was the daylight, blazing sun coming through giant windows. 
Not the kind of not the kind of thing you would expect in the heart of a dungeon. The workshop was like an artist studio with 30-foot ceilings and industrial lighting, polished stone floors and workbenches along with the windows. And a, sp- a spiral staircase led up to a second-story loft. Half a dozen easels displayed hand-drawn diagrams for buildings and machines that looked like Leonardo da Vinci's sketches. Several laptop computers were scattered around on the tables. Glass jars of green oil, Greek fire lined one shelf. There were inventors too, weird metal machines I couldn't make sense of. One was a bronze chair with a bunch of electrical wires attached to it, like some kind of torture device. In another corner stood a giant metal egg about the size of a man. It was a grandfather clock that appeared to be made entirely out of glass. So you could see all the gears turning, and hanging on the wall were several sets of bronze and silver things. Die Immortalis, Amit muttered. She ran to the nearest easel and looked at the sketch. He's a genius! Look at the curves on this building! And an artist! Rachel said in amazement. These wings are amazing! The wings looked more advanced than the ones I'd seen in my dreams. The feathers were more tightly interwoven. Instead of wax seals, self-adhesive strips ran down the sides. I kept my hand on Riptide. Apparently, Daedalus was not at home, but the workshop looked like it had been recently used. The laptops were running their screensavers. A half-eaten blueberry muffin and a coffee cup sat on a workbench. I walked to the window. The view outside was amazing. I recognized the rocky mountains in the distance. We were high up in the foothills, at least 500 feet, and down below a valley spread out filled with a tumbled collection of red mesas and boulders and spires of stone. It looked like some huge kid had been building a toy city with skyscraper-sized blocks and then decided to knock it over. Where are we? I wondered. Colorado Springs, a voice said behind. The Garden of the Gods. Standing on the spiral staircase above us with his weapon drawn was our missing swordmaster, Quintus. You, Ambit said. What have you done with Daedalus? Quintus smiled faintly. Trust me, my dear. You don't want to meet him. Look, Mr. Traitor, she growled. I didn't fight a dragon woman and a three-bodied man and a psychotic sphinx to see you. Now where is Daedalus? Quintus came down the stairs, holding his sword at his side. He was dressed in jeans and boots and his counselor's t-shirt from Camp Half-Blood which seemed like an insult now, now that we knew he was a spy. I didn't know if I could beat him in a sword fight. It was pretty good, but I figured I would have to try. You'd think I'm an agent for Kronos, he said, that I work for Luke. Well, duh, said Annabeth. You're an intelligent girl, he said, but you're wrong. I work only for myself. Luke mentioned you, I said. Gary knew about you too. You've been to his ranch. Of course, he said. I've been almost everywhere, even here. He walked past me like I was no threat at all and stood by the window. The view changes from day to day, he mused. It's always some place high up. Yesterday it was from a skyscraper overlooking Manhattan. The day before there was a beautiful view of Lake Michigan. But he keeps coming back to the Garden of the Gods. I think the Labyrinth likes it here. A fitting name, I suppose. You've been here before, I said. Oh, yes. That's an illusion out there? I asked. A projection or something? No, Rachel murmured. It's real. We're really in Colorado. Quintus regarded her. You have clear vision, don't you? You remind me of another mortal girl I knew. Another princess who came to grief. Enough games, I said. What have you done with Daedalus? 
Quintus stared at me. My boy, you need lessons from your friend on seeing clearly. I am Daedalus. There were a lot of answers I might have given from, from, I knew that, to liar, to, yeah, right, and I'm Zeus. The only thing I could think of to say was, but you're not an inventor, you're a swordsman. I'm both, Quintus said, and an architect, and a scholar. I also played basketball pretty well for a guy who didn't start until he was 2,000 years old. A real artist must be good at many things. That's true, Rachel said. Like, I can paint with my feet as well as my hands. You see? Quintus said, a girl of many talents. But you don't even look like Daedalus, I protested. I saw him in a dream and suddenly a horrible thought dawned on me. Yes, Quintus said, you finally guessed the truth. You're an automaton. You made yourself a new body. Percy, Ambit said uneasily, that's not possible. That, that can't be an automaton. Quintus chuckled. Do you know what Quintus means, my dear? The fifth in Latin, but this is my fifth body. The swordsman held out his forearm. He pressed his elbow and part of his wrist popped out. A regular rectangular hatch of his uh, in his skin. Underneath bronze key gears whirred. Wires glowed. That's amazing, Rachel said. That's weird, I said. You found a way to transfer your animus into a machine? Ambit said, that's not natural. Oh, I assure you, my dear, it's still me. I'm still very much Daedalus. Our mother, Athena, makes sure I never forget that. He tucked back the collar of his shirt. At the base of his neck was the mark I'd seen before. The dark shape of a bird grafted to his skin. A murderer's brand, Ambit said. For, you, for your nephew, for your nephew, Perdix, I guessed. The boy you pushed off the tower. Quintus' face darkened. I did not push him, I simply... Made him lose his balance, I said. Let him die. Quintus gazed out the windows at the purple mountains. I regret what I did, Percy. I was angry and bitter, but I cannot take it back, and Athena never lets me forget. As Perdix died, she turned him into a small bird, a partridge. She branded the bird's shape on my neck as a reminder. No matter what body I take, the brand appears on my skin. I looked into his eyes, and I realized he was the same man I'd seen in my dreams. His face might be totally different, but the same soul was in there. The same intelligence and all the sadness. You really are Daedalus, I decided. But why did you come to the camp? Why spy on us? To see if your camp was worth saving. Luke had given me one story. I preferred to come to my own conclusions. So you have talked to Luke? Oh yes, several times. He is quite persuasive. But now you've seen the camp, Ambit persisted. So you, so you know we need your help. You can't look Luke through the maze. Daedalus set his sword on the workbench. The maze is no longer mine to control, Anubis. I created it, yes. In fact, it is tied to my life force. But I have allowed it to live and grow on its own. That is the price I paid for privacy. Privacy from what? The gods, he said, and death. I have been alive for two millennia, my dear. Hiding from death. I mean... How can you hide from Hades? I asked. I mean, Hades has the Furies. They do not know everything, he said, or see everything. You have encountered them, Percy. You know this is true. A clever mind can hide quite a long time. And I have buried myself very deep. Only my greatest enemy has kept after me. And even I have thwarted. You mean Minos, I said. Daedalus nodded. 
He hunts for me relentlessly. Now that he is a judge of the dead, he would like nothing better than for me to come before him so he can punish me for my crimes. After the daughters of Cocles killed him, Minos' ghost began torturing me in my dreams. He promised that he would hunt me down. I did the only thing I could. I retreated from the world completely. I descended into my labyrinth. I decided this would be my ultimate accomplishment. I would cheat death. And you did, Ambit marveled, for 2,000 years. She sounded kind of impressed, despite the horrible things Daedalus has done. Just then, a loud bark echoed from the corridor. I heard the ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump of huge paws, and Mrs. O'Leary bounded into the workshop. She licked my face once, then almost knocked Daedalus over with an enthusiastic leap. There's my old friend, Daedalus said, scratching Mrs. O'Leary behind the ears. My only companion all these long, lonely years. You let her save me, I said. That whistle actually worked. Daedalus nodded. Of course it did, Percy. You have a good heart, and I knew Mrs. O'Leary liked you. I wanted to help you. Perhaps I... I felt guilty as well. Guilty about what? That your quest would be in vain. What? Ambit said. But you can still help us. You have to. Give us Ariadne's string so Luke can get it. Yes, the string. I told Luke that the eyes of a clear-sighted mortal are the best guide, but he, he did not trust me. He was so focused on the idea of a magic item, and the string works. It's not as accurate as your mortal friend here, perhaps, but good enough. Good enough. Where is it? Ambit said. With Luke, Dedalus said sadly. I'm sorry, my dear, but you are several hours too late. With a chill, I realized why Luke had been in such a good mood in the arena. He'd already gotten the string from Dedalus. His only obstacle had been the arena master, and I'd taken care of that for him by killing Antaeus. Kronos promised me freedom, Quintus said. Once Hades is overthrown, he will set me over the overworld, uh, under, underworld. I will reclaim my son Icarus. I will make things right with my with poor young Peripertics. I will see Minos' soul cast into Tartarus, where it cannot be bothered, where it cannot bother me again, and I will no longer have to run from death. That's your brilliant idea, Ambit yelled. You're gonna let Luke destroy our camp, kill hundreds of demigods, and then attack Olympus? You're gonna bring down the entire world so you can get what you want? Your cause is doomed, my dear. I saw that as soon as I began to work at your camp. There's no way you can hold back the might of Kronos. That's not true, she cried. I'm doing what I must, my dear. The offer was too sweet to refuse. I'm sorry. Hammond pushed an easel. Architectural drawings scattered over the, across the floor. I used to respect you. You're my hero. You, you built amazing things. You solved problems. Now, I don't know what you are. Children of Athena are supposed to be wise, not just clever. Maybe you are just a man machine. You should have just died 2,000 years ago. Instead of getting camp and getting mad, Daedalus hung his head. You should go warn your camp, now that Luke has the string. Suddenly, Mrs. O'Leary pricked up her ears. Someone's coming, Rachel warned. The doors of the workshop burst open and Nico was pushed inside, his hands in chains. Then Kelly and two Lastragonians marched in behind him, followed by the ghost of Minos. He looked almost solid now, a pale bearded king with cold eyes and tendrils of mist coiling off his robes. He fixed his gaze on Daedalus. There you are, my old friend. Daedalus' jaw clenched. He looked at Kelly. What is the meaning of this? Luke sends his compliments, Kelly said. He thought you might, you might like to see your old employer, Minos. 
This was not part of our agreement, Della said. No, indeed, Kelly said, but we already have what we want from you, and we have other agreements to honor. Minos required something else from us in order to turn over this fine young demigod. She ran a finger under Nico's chin. He'll be quite useful, and all Minos asked in return was your head, old man. Daedalus paled. Treachery. Get used to it, Kelly said. Nico, I said, are you okay? He nodded morosely. I, I'm sorry, Percy. Minos told me you were in danger. He convinced me to go back into the maze. You were trying to help us? I was tricked, he said. He tricked all of us. I glared at Kelly. Where's Luke? Why isn't he here? The she-demon smiled like we were sharing a private joke. Luke is busy. He was preparing for the assault, but don't worry. We have more friends on the way. And in the meantime, I think I'll have a wonderful snack. Her hand changed to claws. Her hair burst into flames and her legs legs turned into the, to their true form. One donkey leg, one bronze. Percy, Rachel Aunt whispered, the wings, do you think? Get them, I said. I'll try to buy you some time. And with that, all Hades broke loose. Ambeth and I charged at Kelly. The giants came right at Daedalus. When Mrs. O'Leary leaped to his defense, Nico got pushed to the ground and struggled with his chains while the spirit of Minos wailed. Kill the inventor! Kill him! Rachel grabbed the wings off the wall. Nobody paid her any attention. Kelly slashed at Annabeth, and I tried to get her, get her, but the demon was quick and deadly. She turned over tables, smashed inventions, and she wouldn't let us get close. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Mrs. O'Leary chomp her fangs into a giant's arm. He wailed in pain and flung her around, trying to shake her. Daedalus grabbed for his sword, but the second, second giant smashed the workbench with his fists, and the sword went flying. A clay jar of Greek fire broke on the floor and began to burn, green flames spreading quickly. To me, Minos cried, spirits of the dead. He raised his ghostly hands and the air began to hum. No, Nico cried. He was on his feet now. He summoned me and managed to remove his shackles. You do not control me, young fool, Minos sneered. All this time I've been controlling you. A soul for a soul, yes. But it is not your sister who will return from the dead. It is I as soon as I slay the inventor. Spirits began to appear around Minos, shimmering forms that slowly multiplied, solidifying into Cretan soldiers. I am the son of Hades, Nico insisted. Be gone! Minos laughed. You have no power over me. I am the Lord of Spirits, I, the Ghost King. No, Nico drew a sword. I am. He stabbed his back blade into the floor and cleaved like the, uh, through the stone like butter. Never, Minos' form rippled. I will not. The ground rumbled. The windows cracked and shattered to pieces, letting in a blast of fresh air. A fissure opened in the stone floor of the workshop, and Minos and all his spirits were sucked into the void with a horrible wail. The bad news, the fight was still going all around us, and I let myself get distracted. Kelly pounced on me so fast I had no time to defend myself. My sword skittered away and I hit my head on a hard on a work table as I fell. My eyesight went fuzzy. I couldn't taste my arms. I couldn't raise my arms. Kelly laughed. <laughs> you will taste wonderful. She bared her fangs and suddenly her body went rigid. Her red eyes widened. She gasped. No. School. Spirit. And Ambit took her knife out of the Impusa's back. With an awful screech, Kelly dissolved into a yellow vapor. Ambit helped me up. I still felt dizzy, but we had no time to lose. Mrs. O'Leary and Daedalus were still locked in combat with the giants, and I could hear shouting in the tunnel. More monsters were coming toward the Daedalus. 
toward the workshop. We have to help Daedalus, I said. No time, Rachel said. Too many coming. She already fitted herself with wings and was all working on Nico, who looked pale and sweaty from his struggle with Minos. The wings grafted instantly to his back and arms. Now you, she told me. In seconds, Nico, Annabeth, Rachel, and I had fitted ourselves with coppery wings. Already I could feel myself being lifted by the wind th- coming through the gr- window. Greek fire was burning through the, d- the tables and furniture spreading up the circular stale- stairs. Daedalus, I yelled, come on. He was cut in a hundred places, but he was bleeding golden oil instead of blood. He found his sword and was using part of a smash table and as a shield against the giants. I won't leave Mrs. O'Leary, he said. Go! There was no time to argue. Even if we stayed, I wasn't sure we could help. None of us know how to fly, Nico protested. Great time to find out, I said. And together, the four of us jumped out out of the window into open sky. And that is the end of chapter 15. Wow, that was such a chapter. I can't believe they finally killed Kelly the Impusa and... I really hope Daedalus and Mrs. O'Leary are able to survive the monsters. And Daedalus seems nice, even though he's done a lot of horrible things. But even And I'm glad that he regrets killing his nephew, Perdix. And so, yeah, I really hope they the, those two really survive. And I hope the four are able to actually fly and, yeah, reach, uh, safe, safely reach, like, you know, land. Or possibly back to camp and warn everyone that Luke has Ariadne's string. But we will find out what happens to those four when we read chapter 16. I open a coffin right after this break. And we are back from the ads. And now we'll read chapter 16. I open a coffin. Jumping out of a window 500 feet above ground is not usually my idea of fun. Especially when I'm wearing bronze wings and flapping my arms like a duck. I plummeted toward the valley and the red rocks below. I was pretty sure I was going to become a grease spot in the Garden of the Gods, as Annabeth yelled from somewhere above me, Spread your arms! Keep them extended! The small part of my brain that wasn't engulfed in panic heard her, and my arms responded. As soon as I spread them out, the wings stiffened, caught the wind, and my descent slowed. I soared downward, but at a controlled angle, like a kite in a dive. Experimentally, I flapped my wing arms once. I arsed into the sky. What the wind whistling in my ears. Yeah! I yelled. The feeling was unbelievable. After getting the hang of it, I felt like the wings were part of my body. I could soar and swoop and dive anywhere I wanted to. I turned and saw my friends, Rachel, Annabeth, and Nico, spiraling above me, glinting in the sunlight. Behind them, smoke billowed from the windows of Daedalus's workshop. Land! Annabeth yelled. These wings won't last forever! How long? Rachel cried. I don't want to find out, Annabeth said. We swooped down toward the Garden of the Gods. I did a complete circle around one of the rock spires and freaked out a couple of climbers. Then the four of us soared across the valley, over a road, and landed on the terrace of the visitor center. It was late afternoon and the place looked pretty empty, but we ripped off our wings as quickly as we could. Looking at them, I could see Annabeth was right. The self-adhesive seals that were bound that bound the wings to our backs were already melting, and we were shedding bronze feathers. It seemed a shame, but we couldn't fix them, and couldn't leave them around for the mortals, so we stuffed the wings in the trash bin outside the cafeteria. I used the tourist binocular camera to look up at the hill where Daedalus' workshop had been, but it had vanished. No more smoke, no more broken windows, just the side of a hill. The workshop moved. Ambed guessed. There's no telling where. 
So what do we do now? I asked. How do we get back in the maze? Emma gazed at the summit of Pike's Peak in the distance. Maybe we can't. If Daedalus died, he said his life force was tied to the labyrinth. The whole thing might have been destroyed. Maybe that will stop Luke's invasion. I thought about Grover and Tyson, still down there somewhere, and Daedalus, even though he'd done some terrible things and put everybody I cared about at risk, it still seemed like a pretty horrible way to die. No, Nico said. He isn't dead. How can you be sure? I asked. I know when people die. It's this feeling I get, like a buzzing in my ears. What about Tyson and Grover then? Nico shook his head. That's harder. They're not humans or half-bloods. They don't have mortal souls. We have to get into town, Namba decided. Our chances will be better of finding an entrance to the labyrinth. We have to make it back to camp before Luke and his army. We could just take a plane, Rachel said. I shuddered. I don't fly. But you just did. That was low flying, I said. And even that's risky. Flying up really high? That's Zeus's territory. I can't do it. Besides, we don't even have time for a flight. The labyrinth is the quickest, quickest way back. I didn't want to say it, but I was also hoping that maybe, just maybe, we, could, we would find Grover and Tyson along the way. So we need a car to take us into the city, Abbott said. Rachel looked down into the parking lot. She grimaced, as if she were about to do something she regretted. I'll take care of it. How? Abbott asked. Just trust me. Abbott looked uneasy, but she nodded. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna buy a prism in the gift shop. Try to make a rainbow and send an iris message to camp. I'll go with you, Nico said. I'm hungry. I'll stick with Rachel then, I said. Meet you guys in the parking lot. Rachel frowned like she didn't want me with her. That made me kind of feel kind of bad, but I followed her down to the parking lot anyway. She headed toward a big black car parked at the edge of the lot. It was a chauffeured Lexus, like the kind I always saw driving around Manhattan. The driver was out front, reading a newspaper. He wore a dark suit and tie. What are you going to do? I asked Rachel. Just wait here, she said miserably. Please. Rachel marched straight up to the driver and talked to him. He frowned. Rachel said something else. He turned pale and hastily folded up his magazine. He nodded and fumbled for his cell phone. After a brief call, he opened the door of the bad car for Rachel to get in. She pointed back in my direction, and the driver bobbed his head some more like, Yes, ma'am, whatever you want. I couldn't figure out why he was acting so flustered. Rachel came back to get me just as Nico and Annabeth appeared from the gift shop. I talked to Sharon, Annabeth said. They're doing their best to prepare for battle, but he still wants us back. They're going to need every hero they can get. Do we find a ride? The driver's ready when we are, Rachel said. The chauffeur was now talking to another guy in khakis and a polo shirt. Probably his client who rented the car. The client was complaining, but I could hear the driver saying, I'm sorry, sir. Emergency. I, I, I've ordered another car for you. Come on, Rachel said. She led us to the car and got in without even looking at the flustered guy who rented it. A minute later, we were cruising down the road. The seats were leather. There were plenty of legroom. The back seat had flat panel TVs built into the headrests and a mini fridge stocked with bottled water, sodas, and snacks. We started pigging out. Where to, Miss Dare? The driver asked. I'm not sure, Robert, she said. We just need to drive through town and uh, look around. Whatever you say, miss. I looked at Rachel. Do you know this guy? No, but he dropped everything to help you. Why? Just keep your eyes peeled, she said. Help me look, which didn't exactly answer my question. 
We drove through Colorado Springs for about half an hour and saw nothing that Rachel considered a possible labyrinth entrance. I was very aware of Rachel's shoulder pressing against mine. I kept wondering who she was exactly and how she could walk up to some random chauffeur and immediately get a ride. After about an hour, we decided to head north toward Denver, thinking that maybe a bigger city would be more likely to have a labyrinth entrance. But we were all getting nervous. We were losing time. Then right as we were leaving Colorado Springs, Rachel sat a bolt upright, upright. Get off the highway! The driver glanced back. Miss? I saw something, I think. Get off here! The driver swerved across traffic and took the exit. What did you see? I asked, because we are pretty much out of the city now. There wasn't anything around except hills, grassland, and some scattered farm buildings. Rachel had the driver turn down this unpromising dirt road. We drove by a sign too fast for me to read it, but Rachel said, Western Museum of Mining and Industry. For a museum, it didn't look like much. A little house like a little old-fashioned railroad station. Some drills and pumps and old steam shovels on display outside. There, Rachel pointed to a hole in the side of a nearby hill. A tunnel that was boarded up and chained. An old mine entrance. A door to the labyrinth? Ambit asked, how can you be so sure? Well, look at it! Rachel said, I mean, I can see it, okay? She thanked the driver and we all got out. He didn't ask for money or anything. Are you sure you'll be all right, Miss Dare? I'd be happy to call it. No, Rachel said. No, really, thanks, Robert, but we're fine. The museum, the museum seemed to be closed, so nobody bothered us as we climbed the hill to the mine shaft. When we got to the entrance, I saw the mark of Daedalus engraved on the padlock. Though how Rachel had seen something so tiny all the way from the highway, I had no idea. I touched the padlock and the chains fell away. We kicked down a few boards and walked inside. For better or for worse, we are back in the labyrinth. The dirt tunnels turned to stone. They wound around and split off and basically tried to confuse us. But Rachel had no trouble guiding us. We told her we needed to get back to New York. And she hardly even paused when the tunnels offered a choice. To my surprise, Rachel and Annabeth started up a conversation as we walked. Annabeth asked her more about her background, but Ra Rachel was evasive, so they started talking about architecture. It turned out Rachel knew something about from studying art. They talked about different facades on buildings around New York. Have you seen this one? Blah, 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 blah. So I hung back and walked next to Nico in uncomfortable silence. Thanks for coming after us, I told him at last. Narrow Nico's eyes narrowed. He didn't seem as angry as he used to. Just suspicious. Careful. I owed you for the ranch, Percy. Plus, I wanted to see Deadless for myself. Minos was right, in a way. Deadless should die. Nobody should be able to avoid dead that long. It's not natural. That's what you were after all along, I said, trading Deadless's soul for your sisters. Nico walked for another 50 yards before answering. It hasn't been easy, you know, having only the dead for company. Knowing that I'll never be accepted by the living, only the dead respect me, and they only do that out of fear. You could be accepted, I said. You could have friends at camp. He stared at me. Do you really believe that, Percy? I didn't answer. The truth was, I didn't know. Nico had always been a little different, but since Bianca's death, he'd almost got, he'd gotten almost scary. He had his father's eyes, that intense, manic fire, and made you suspect he was either a genius or a madman. And the way he'd banished Minos and called himself the King of Ghosts it was kind of impressive, but it made me uncomfortable too. Before I could figure out what to tell him, I ran into Rachel, who stopped in front of me. We'd come to a crossroads. The tunnels continued straight ahead. 
But a side tunnel teed off to the right, a circular shaft carved from black volcanic rock. What is it? I asked. Rachel stared down the dark tunnel. In the dim flashlight beam, her face looked like one of Nico's specters. Is that the way? Ambit asked. No, Rachel said nervously. Not at all. Why are we stopping then? I asked. Listen, Nico said. I heard wind coming from down from the tunnel, as if the exit were close. And I smelled something vaguely familiar, something that brought, brought back bad memories. Eucalyptus trees, I said, like in California. Last winter, when we faced Luke and the Titan Atlas on the, mount of, on the top of Mount Tamalpais, the air had smelled just like that. There's something evil down that tunnel, he Rachel said, something very powerful, and the smell of death, Nico added, which made me feel a whole lot better. Abbott and I exchanged glances. Luke's entrance, she guessed, the one to Mount Othrius, the Titan's palace. I have to check it out, I said. Percy, no. Luke could be right there, I said. Or, or Kronos, I have to find out what's going on. Emmett hesitated. Then we'll all go. No, I said. It's too dangerous. If they got hold of Nico or Rachel, for that matter, Kronos could use them. You stay here and guard them. What I didn't say, I was also worried about Annabeth. I didn't trust what she would do if she saw Luke again. You had fooled her and had manipulated her too many times before. Percy, don't, Rachel said. Don't go up there alone. I'll be quick, I promised. I won't do anything stupid. Emma took her Yankees cap out of her pocket. At least take this and be careful. Thanks. I remember the last time Annabeth and I had parted ways, when she gave me a kiss for luck in Mount St. Helens. This time all I got was the hat. I put it on. Here goes nothing. And I sneaked invisibly down the dark stone tunnel. Before I even got to the exit, I heard voices, the growling, barking sounds of sea demon smiths, the telekines. At least we salvaged the blade, one said. The master will still reward us. Yes, yes, a second shrieked. Rewards beyond measure. Another voice, this one more human, said. Um, yeah, well, that's great. Now, if you're done with me, no half-blood, a telekine said. You must help us make us the, make the presentation. It is a great honor. Gee, thanks, the half-blood said, and I realized it was Ethan Nakamura, the guy who'd run away after I saved his sorry life in the arena. I crept toward the end of the tunnel. I had to remind myself I was invisible. They shouldn't be able to see me. A blast of cold hair hit me as I emerged. I was standing near the top of Mount Tam. The Pacific Ocean spread out below, gray under a cloudy sky. About 20 feet downhill, two telekines were placing something on a big rock. Something long and thin and wrapped in black cloth. Ethan was helping them open it. Careful, fool! The telekine scolded. One touch and the blade will sever your soul from your body. Ethan swallowed nervously. Maybe I'll let you unwrap it then. I glanced up at the mountain's peak where a mar black marble fortress loomed. Just like I'd seen in my dreams, it reminded me of an oversized mausoleum, mausoleum with walls 50 feet high. I had no idea how mortals could miss the fact that it was here. But then again, everything below the summit seemed fuzzy to me, as if there were a thick veil between me and the lower half of the mountain. There was magic going on here, really powerful mist. Above me, the sky swirled into a huge funnel cloud. I couldn't see Atlas, but I could hear him groaning in the distance, still laboring under the weight of the sky, just beyond the fortress. There! 
the Telekine said. Reverently, he lifted the weapon, and my blood turned to ice. It was a scythe, a six-foot-long blade curved like a crescent moon. With a wooden handle wrapped in leather, the blade glinted two different colors, steel and bronze. It was the weapon of Kronos, the one he'd used to slice up his father, Oranos, before the gods had taken it away from him and cut Kronos to pieces, casting him into Tartarus. Now the weapon was reforged. We must sanctify it in blood, the Telekine said. Then you, half-blood, shall help present it when the Lord awakes. I ran toward the fortress, my pulse pounding in my ears. I didn't want to get anywhere close to that horrible black mausoleum, but I knew what I had to do. I had to stop Kronos from rising. This might be my only chance. I dashed through a dark foyer and into the main hall. The floor shined like a mahogany piano, pure black and yet full of light. Black marble statues lined the walls. I didn't recognize the faces, but I knew I was looking at images of the titans who ruled before the gods. At the end of the room, between two bronze barriers, was a dais, and on the dais, the golden sarcophagus. The room was silent except for the crackle of the fires. Luke wasn't here. No guards, nothing. It was too easy, but I approached the dais. The sarcophagus was just like I remembered, about ten feet long, much too big for a human. It was carved with elaborate scenes of death and destruction, pictures of the gods being trodden under chariots, temples and famous royal landmarks being smashed and burned. The whole coffin gave gave off an aura of extreme cold, like I was walking into a freezer. My breath began to steam. I drew Riptide and took a little comfort from the familiar weight of the sword in my hand. Whenever I had approached Kronos before, his evil voice had spoken in my mind. Why was he silent now? He'd been shredded into a thousand pieces, cut with his own scythe. What would I find if I opened that lid? How could they make a new body for him? I had no answers. I just knew that if he was about to rise, I had to strike him down before he got the scythe. But I had to figure out a way to stop him. I stood over the coffin. The lid was decorated even more intricately than the sides with scenes of carnage and power. In the middle of it was an inscription, inscription carved in letters even older than Greek, a language of magic. I couldn't read it exactly, but I knew what it said. Kronos, Lord of Time. My hand touched the lid. My fingertips turned blue. Frost gathered on my sword. Then I heard noises behind me, voices approaching. It was now or never. I pushed back the golden lid, and it fell to the floor with a huge whoom. I lifted my sword, ready to strike, but when I looked inside, I didn't comprehend what I was seeing. Mortal legs dressed in gray pants, a wide t-shirt, hands folded over his stomach. One piece of his chest was missing, a clean black hole about the size of a bullet wound, right where his heart should have been. His eyes were closed, his skin was pale, blonde hair and a scar running along the left side of his face. The body in the coffin was Luke's. I should have stabbed him right then. I should have brought the point of Riptide down with all my strength, but I was too stunned. I didn't understand. As much as I hated Luke, as much as he had betrayed me, I just didn't get why he was in the coffin and why he looked so very, very dead. Then the voices of the Telekines were right behind me. What has happened? One of the demons screamed when he saw the lid. I stumbled away from the dais, forgetting that I was invisible, and had be- hid behind a column as they approached. Careful, the other demon warned. Perhaps he stirs. We must present the gifts now, immediately. The two telekines shuffled forward and knelt, holding up the scythe on his wrapping cloth. My lord, one said. Your symbol of power is remade. Silence. 
Nothing happened in the coffin. You fool, the other telekine muttered. He requires the half-blood first. Ethan stepped back. Whoa, what do you do? What do you mean he requires me? Don't be a coward, the first telekine hissed. He does not require your death, only your allegiance. Pledge him your service. Renounce the gods, that is all. No, I yelled. It was a stupid thing to do, but I charged into the room and took off the cap. Ethan, don't! Trespasser! The telkines bared their sealed teeth. The master will deal with you soon enough. Hurry, boy! Ethan, I pleaded. Don't listen to them. Help me destroy it. Ethan turned toward me, his eye patch blending in with the shadows on his face. His expression was something like pity. I told you not to spare me, Percy. An eye for an eye. You ever hear that saying? I learned what it means the hard way. When I discovered my godly parent, I'm the child of Nemesis, goddess of revenge, and this is what I was made to do. He turned toward the dais. I renounce the gods. What have they ever done for me? I will see them destroyed. I will serve Kronos. The building rumbled. A wisp of blue light rose from the floor at Ethan Nakamura's feet. It drifted toward the coffin and began to shimmer like a cloud of pure energy. Then it descended into the sarcophagus. Luke sat bolt upright, his eyes open, and they were no longer blue. They were golden, the same color as the coffin. The hole in his chest was gone. He was complete. He leaped out of the coffin with ease, and where his feet touched the floor, the marble froze like craters of ice. He looked at Ethan and the telekines with those horrible golden eyes, as if he were a newborn baby, not sure what he was seeing. Then he looked at me, and a smile of recognition crept across his mouth. This body has been well prepared. His voice was like a razor blade running over my skin. It was Luke's, but not Luke's. Underneath his voice was another more horrible sound, an ancient cold sound like metal scraping against rock. Don't you think so, Percy Jackson? I couldn't move. I couldn't answer. Kronos threw his back, threw back his head and laughed. The scar on his face rippled. Luke feared you, the Titan's voice said. His jealousy and hatred have been powerful tools. It has kept him obedient. For that, I thank you. Ethan collapsed in terror. He covered his face with his hands. The telekines trembled, holding up the scythe. Finally, I found my nerve. I lunged at the thing that used to be Luke, thrusting my blade at, straight at his chest. But his skin deflected the blow like he was made of pure steel. He looked at me with amusement. Then he flicked his hand, and I flew across the room. I slammed against a pillar. I struggled to my feet, blinking the stars out of my eyes. But Kronos had already grasped the handle of his scythe. Ah, much better, he said. Backbiter, Luke called it. An appropriate name. Now that is reforged completely, he shall indeed bite back. What have you done to Luke? I groaned. Kronos raised his scythe. He serves me with his whole being as I require. The difference is, he's feared you, Percy Jackson. I do not. That's when I ran. There wasn't even any thought to it. No debate in my mind about, gee, should I stand up to him and try to fight him? Again, nope. I simply ran. But my feet felt like lead. Time slowed down around me like the world was turning to jello. I'd had this feeling once before, and I knew it was the power of Kronos. His presence was so strong, you could bend time itself. Run, little hero. He laughed. <laughs> Run! I glanced back and saw him approaching leisurely, swinging his scythe as he were uh, enjoying the feel of having it in his hands again. No weapon in the world could stop him. No amount of celestial bronze. He was ten feet away when I heard, Percy! 
Rachel's voice. Something flew past me, and a blue plastic hairbrush hit Kronos in the eye. Ow! He yelled. For a moment, it was only Luke's voice, full of surprise and pain. My limbs were freed, and I ran straight into Rachel, Nico, and Annabeth, who were standing in the entry hall, their eyes wide with dismay. Luke? Annabeth called. What? I grabbed her by the, sh by the shirt and hauled her after me. I ran as fast as I ever run, out straight out of the fortress. We were almost back to the labyrinth entrance when I heard the loudest bellow in the vo world. The voice of Kronos coming back into the control. After them! No! Nico yelled. He clapped his hands together and the jagged spire of rock the size of an 18-wheeler erupted from the ground right in front of the fortress. The tremor it caused was so powerful the front columns of the building came crashing down. I heard muffled screams from the telekines inside, dust billowed everywhere. We plunged into the labyrinth and kept running, the howl of the Titan Lord shaking the entire world behind us. And that is the end of chapter 16. Oh dear... The Titan Lord has come back, and I really hope that they're prepping enough uh, back at camp, and I really hope the gods come actually help, come and help fight Kronos, because Kronos is a time god, and time is a pretty powerful thing to have, so I really hope that Percy and, the, and all the gods, and they all team up together and fight Kronos, so, and I hope Luke can also, like, snap out of it and actually get out, because... If that's just Kronos had, has taken Luke's body, so that's that's not good either. But we will find out what happens to Percy and the group right next next week when we read chapter 17 and 18. Until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.